0: Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company or someone in your network that you know may wanna reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org. And I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond. With conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between, you'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Are there any underlying inefficiencies at your company that are keeping it from fulfilling its potential? Well, our guest today is just the person to find them. Pete Gibson, or as I like to call him, the turnaround guy, has built a widely respected reputation, making stops as the CIO and CTO at various companies, most recently Friendly's and Johnny Rockets Restaurants, where he came in and massively improved their overall functionality and P&L. Tune in to learn how he uses technology and team building strategies to maximize IT output. Plus why too many leaders in the C-suite don't actually know how to properly partner with the IT org within the company. And why his nearly 15 year military background has proven useful in his professional career. Enjoy today's episode. the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host Albert Chow as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't often talk about. Tune in to Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Pete, I'm so excited to chat today. Welcome. Nice to be here. So. You are known as like the turnaround guy. You come into all these companies, you turn them around, you make them more successful. But before we get into all that, because that'll be a large focus of the conversation, I want to start with your time in the military because you were there for 14 years or so?
1: 14 years active and then I finished up in the reserves,
0: yeah. Okay. So I want to hear a bit about what were you doing? Like, what did that look like? And then we're going to get into some lessons that you pulled into this most recent part of your life.
1: It's pretty interesting. I grew up in central North Carolina and got a liberal arts degree. And then I said, and I did about two years of a not-for-profit. And then I said, well, you know, I got this human relations, not-for-profit thing. I wanna go in the military and pick up leadership. I had a great, only had a two-year commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, okay, two-year commitment, surface line, and I was driving destroyers. And then I'm gonna go back and get an MBA. But for the first time in my career or life, I was challenged, and so I really dug in and was having a good time because I was growing as an individual. And in the Navy's infinite wisdom, they said, we're going to take this liberal arts major and we're going to put you down a technology path. So there's a young, here's a young naval officer, and I'm reading all about the Soviet Navy and RF propagation and network and how to jam radars and defeat missiles and all this other stuff. That's pretty neat stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd say so.
1: And so I did well. And then at a young age, I fleeted up to run all the computer operations and the ship operations, went ashore, taught fleet tactics to senior officers. And then I came back and was a, a department head on a ship and had all, at a pretty young age, I had all the responsibility for uh, all the weapons, all the electronics, the whole fighting side of the ship at, you know, typical military at a... 130 people at 30 years old. Mm. And then and then also had things like back in the day, and you can say it now, you know, here's a young 30-year-old guy that says, hey, we're gonna move the nuclear weapons on board today. Or, or not. And so it was pretty, pretty interesting. So you you grew. You had to grow quickly. And then they came to me and said, Hey, you've got a pretty good career, and we need guys like you. And so where do you wanna go next? And they were they detailed me really nice. They said, here's 20 positions. Yep. And anyone who's never been in the in the military would tell you, they don't always detail you. They say, here's three, you got 20 minutes, figure it out, let me know when off you go. And I kind of go, well, all right. And he said, give me a call back tomorrow. And so they wanted me in the Tomahawk program because I had the experience, and but they really wanted me in the Pentagon and I really didn't want to go to the Pentagon. So I ended up at a little place called Dahlgren, Virginia, which is when I, where my wife and I went up there And she was expecting our first child and said, This, you know, it's a pretty sleepy little base, 60 miles outside of DC, close enough. We're there. So I went in, and there are only like 20 military guys there, probably only 10, 15 officers, at least in our section of it. So then they said, You're over in this building. Yeah, they do something with the Tomahawk. I go, Okay. And so I walked in, and I had 350 civil servants reporting to me. And I was responsible for developing all the Tomahawk cruise missile system, which in the 90s was one of our best systems. And I didn't have the ordnance. I had all the computer control systems. And so out of it, I learned, you know, on the ship, I was an operator here. I had to learn to develop high reliability code, high reliability systems. And so I learned system engineering, project management, financing, how to develop high reliability codes, software quality assurance and things of that nature. We put it on, of course, our submarines, our surface ships, put it on the UK and the Trafalgar class uh, submarine for the UK, learned all these big things. And I couldn't, You know, I was the young officer there, right? That was the token officer. The rest of them were all civil servants. And I had some of the, the nation's leading people in coding and systems and things like this working at this national lab And you know, here's the young guy and you kind of go, I didn't get to tell them how to code when I don't know how to do it myself. And so I was able to take what this organization did really well and was able to sell it to other programs. And we were able to grow this program along the way. So we were actually really, really successful in what we did at that time. But more importantly, it set me up for how to run a technology organization how to develop high reliability code and high reliability systems not just test quality into it and that set me up for a great commercial career
0: wow okay so i want to hear a bit about how you think about coming in and leading any team when maybe you don't really know exactly how to do the thing you know you don't maybe know how to write the code or whatever it might be but you come in and you're able to kind of you know lead with this authority and have 300 something people following you when you don't exactly know how to do what they're doing, maybe like, what does that look like to, you know, create that kind of like leadership set in front of all these people?
1: Normally, when I come in, I spend the first amount of time listening and learning. I want to know what you are doing. I want to know what makes you click. I want to know what makes the organization click. There's something about Stephanie that gets her excited. I want to hear from Stephanie what we do well and we don't do well. And I'll spend a large amount of my time talking to people outside the organization, inside the organization, and then at which point I start looking for quick wins. Mm -hmm. What I've often found is I've gone into these organizations, I've never had to do scorched earth restructuring, to be honest with you. A lot of it is I find that there hasn't been good leadership. We as IT and technicians, we don't bring up our next group of people very well. We don't look at them and say, this is what you need to be CIO. We kind of go do your job. Mm -hmm. And then if there's a need, we're going to pick from somebody. So we don't prepare them. And so I look, focus on the individual, what makes them tick? How do we get them to grow? What do they get excited about? What do we do well in the organization? What do we need to improve? And then I start laying out a plan to go and improve the organization.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that.
1: And it's often the thing is that You know, it's not about Pete Gibson working hard. And yeah, I do. I I affectionately say I do half days, right? Seven in the morning until seven at night, and then I'm on call all night long. But it's about how do I take this organization and how do I get 2%, 3% 3 more productivity out of it? So what are our processes and procedures? How do we develop code? A lot of people would develop code and they been code, but then at the end, they realize when they get in a test, They get, oh, look, we got all these defects. And so they if you miss the timeline, you're missing the budget, you have customer satisfaction issues and so forth. So you ask them, how do you really develop high reliability code? Uh, I don't know. How do you have good IT services for your customer? Uh, And maybe if they're halfway decent, they'll give you an ITIL discussion. And how do you energize these people to go do good things, or your staff to go do good things? And it eludes most technology leaders. They kind of just sit back and, you know, I do my job type thing. And their perspective is I run tech, I do tech. They don't have the perspective that they're there to improve the business. And so all the things that you go do to have a good tech organization to make sure you're successful, if they do it well, they are going to impact the business. Case in point at Friendly's, we were kind of a prickly team, took them up to the next level. IT put in systems. Pre-pandemic, IT was delivering 20-25% of the business. IT made Friendly. It's a beloved brand in New England that's been struggling for years, made them profitable.
0: Mm-hmm. How long was that time period?
1: Got there in August. And the following December, the operations team reached across the executive table and said, you know why we're profitable? And they go, no, because I'm heads down around the organization. It's because of you guys in IT.
0: Mm, okay. And it's not
1: me that did it. But it was the IT team that did it. My point of sale person says we can go do this to improve. We can do this to improve. But we're all headed down the strategy of having better IT services and improving the business, and no capital either, because if we were we were they the company wasn't making money. Private equity owned. what are you going to go do? And it comes down to the leadership of getting people to trust you, working with them, empowering them rewarding them, it doesn't mean comp, it just means rewarding them for great work and so forth.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And also setting the example too. You've gotta, you can't talk the talk, you gotta walk the walk.
0: Yep. So I wanna use this episode as like a mini case study because you've turned around a lot of companies. So first, can you talk about, you know, what companies have you been CIO, CTO? What have your roles been at a very high level before we move further into this case study that I'm about to pull you through?
1: Yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, so I came out of the military, and the first position was uh, IBM.com. Lou Gershner didn't uh, want e-commerce late '90s, just new thing coming out, and he didn't want every big section in IBM to have their own commerce presence. He said, "We're going to do this once and so forth." And so I put together IBM.com. Now I didn't have the software side at the time; I had the operation side of it, and. What was funny was that two guys before me uh, quit, the guy before me had a mental breakdown and they brought me in and because of the military and process procedures, you kind of look at it and you go, well, you know, there's only one place for this organization to go, and that's up. So let's get on and getting it up here, guys. And, and so off we go. And so we did that, got that established. At that time, I said, I wanna be a traditional CIO. So I went to uh, Alamoa National. Like everyone going into a new company, you do your due diligence, we're profitable. Yeah, you know, we got done, we just spun off, we got rid of all the bad baggage, we're good to go, and so forth. And I said, So I became a, I was a divisional CIO there. And so they said, We want you to live in Fort Lauderdale. I said, Cool, but you're gonna work in Ohio. I go, okay, that's fine. And so I get up there and and um, turned it around, kind of a prickly team, kind of mutinous. And then all of a sudden 9-11 hit. And next thing you know, man. Thousands of cars abandoned on the streets. This weak company, a month later, files Chapter 11. So, what do you do when you go into Chapter 11? You can't run scared. You've got no resources. And so, the, the IT team there did a really good job. They put a new system out into all these local market divisions that showed how and allowed them to improve the operations. They were still keywacking in contracts and some big back office, this system said, you don't need to do that, it's out in the field, it's distributed. And we cut the whole back office down and the IT team cut 30% of the corporate overhead down. So uh, we eventually shut that unit down because of that system, believe it or not, because we learned how bad the numbers were in that business unit. And it was the IT team that actually shut that business unit down because they had all the different pieces of it. And then I went down and did restructuring in Germany, was in the UK and then restructuring in Fort Lauderdale and we eventually sold it to servers. And that's where I got the business and IT turnaround aspect of it. Went to Wyndham, that time they send it, they couldn't get an application out the door to save their life. And they tried to launch a, a, a e-commerce site and it was pff, terrible. It didn't have all the proper content in it. So they had me just out in Scottsdale and says so pretty nice there. And they fired the CIO and they fired the head of development and they said, we want you to come run this thing. You are our bench strength. And so we got in there and and we turned it around. I mean, they could literally could not get an application out the door. We were in four years later, you're an information week top 500 IT organization. We're generating $10 million in EBITDA by selling services to the franchisees. We developed a system development life cycle. We were putting systems out right and left. We were an ITIL organization service went sky high. all of our customers there's no longer the it black hole and um you know it was a huge success
0: do you keep the same team when you go in like do you keep a lot of the same people or do you have to kind of hire new ones
1: no what i normally find is the people are really good what has happened is that there is no one has given them good leadership no one has told them that you know that's terrible and you don't kill them in perfect you know but you know in public but you have a, you know, I have a communication plan and I have one-on-one with them. And you said, know, yeah, we could have done a better job at that. Or when it was a success, yeah, you do have a team meeting or your Friday afternoon session or whatever your thing is, you reward people publicly for a great job. You know, I write notes, but I engage with folks walking around. And the next thing you know, we develop a methodology that when they all start becoming successful with it because they all want to be successful. The average, to me, the average person wants to be successful. And so they're the methodology, you know, It's it's assisted development life cycle. And it took a little coaxing they didn't want to do it. Some people thought it was too restrictive. Others said, it didn't tell me how to do my job, but then all of a sudden they started doing it I said, humor. We're going to try once. They were successful. I said, we're gonna do it two or three more times. We're gonna do that A year later. We were putting so many products out the door successfully on time, on budget, that my head of architecture, a great guy by the name of Nick Forte came to me and said, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He goes, we got too many things going out the door at the same time. Our interdependencies aren't locked down. Uh, we said, all right, just going lock it down. And so uh, you know, we had to move one ahead two weeks, one behind a week. I'm calling customers saying, I'm gonna move you back. Here's why. And they all got it. It was the team that was doing it. And not me, because the team was doing it. We were doing, you know, we got that one, two, three percent of performance improvement. And so when you have that team, I think that was about 300 people. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of man out for that team is doing. And I had folks saying, you know, hey, we focus on revenue. Now, one young man says, you know, in my old position, we used to uh, take our training and submit it to the state and they would reimburse us for it. Oh, so really. And he says, I think we can go do that here too for the training that Wyndham does as a hotel company. I go, really? So sure enough, here's a young twenty-eight-year-old person, gets a check from the state for million five, two million dollars. Wow. By understanding what was going on and empowering him and allowing him the work to go do it in a structured environment.
0: Mm-hmm. What was your process that you brought in to get the team to be, start shipping more products where you're saying some of them were on board with it or some of them said it didn't fit? Like, what does that look like when you come in and get everyone organized?
1: Hate to say it, I'm an old waterfall guy. And um, so I'm back in the government. I was capability maturity model, CMM. So you have your process. And CMM isn't a process. It's You will have your processes in place People will understand your processes in place. Oh, by the way, there is a software development lifecycle, but because we had so many problems like equipment would show up in the data center and the infrastructure team wouldn't know what to do with it, and all these other things and lack of communications, we kind of developed a system development lifecycle around a project team that says, Oh, by the way, every one of you guys have got to participate. Business customer, development. Project management. Oh, by the way, infrastructure, you guys were all upset complaining about equipment showing up. Uh, you're gonna be on the team also. Service desk, at that time it was a help desk, we haven't gone on iTill yet, but the service desk always complaining. We always we find out when a product's been launched, when the customers start calling us. I go, okay, well, that's gonna stop. You're gonna be on the team also, so you know what's going on. You know, by the way, all of you guys have deliverables along the way. What's the support plan for the product service desk? I want it before we launch. We documented all this stuff and said, here is the process. We educated everybody on the process. We struggled through doing it the first time. But then at the end of it, they all, everyone understood the process and a year later, they know this is what I need to go do today. There's no chaos. There's no pulling people around. There's no, the crisis was out of the organization and people were doing their job. The project teams were all working together. No micromanagement from the top anymore. They were self teams and they were driving the products out the door.
0: Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're all relying on each other and they actually know who each other are Absolutely. and who owns what.
1: Absolutely. And they're working together. It's a great thing. And then, oh, by the way, You know, guess what? Sizing was done appropriately. Networking sizing was done. Security was in on it. Everyone knew what was going on. The customer had his thing he had to go do along the way. And at the end of it, Test test had to do their test plans along the way. And so once it went through all the development wickets at the end, there's a go, no go meeting. Everyone votes do we go or don't go? But everyone is also ready. And so, and then out the door it goes.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. We would version our processes too. Because we would learn along the way. So version one was the first one. I and mean, then we learned a few things. Then we came up with 1.1, redid the documentation, and then retaught everybody. So here are the new changes into it an hour meeting, a typical IT meeting. Pizza, Mountain Dew, good time. Here's the changes. Train them and off they go. And they'll have their documentation by their desk and stuff like that. They did a, uh, they did, they did a really good job.
0: There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're gonna go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about, publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Do you think there's value in having a cross-functional team to be able to like help pull all these units together? Or did you just kind of pull these teams together and just let them work it out?
1: No, I'm a huge believer in a cross-functional team.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I end up of-
1: using almost cross-functional teams everywhere I go. Okay. When I was at Friendly's here, when I first got in, operations wanted to go do something. And then all of a sudden the accounting team is saying, yelling, stop, stop, stop. I'm listening, we don't know if this is gonna work. What about taxation? What about all this other stuff? Stop, stop. I said, enough of that. So as we started doing projects, and then it was business is there, accounting is there, the IT, the appropriate IT guys are there. And there is a project team and we meet every week. And oh, by the way, there is a project plan. Oh, you yeah, all helped create the project plan. I didn't have a development. We weren't mature enough to have a development cycle yet. But this is the project plan. And then the next thing you know is they're all accountable for their pieces. They're all delivering, and it goes out. Now sometimes they gripe too many meetings, whatever. And I just got to say, you know, go, oh, yeah, that's too many meetings. This and the other. And you just kind of go and say, well, would you rather have chaos and you not knowing what the hell is going on, Emails. or would you rather have a go to a couple <laughs> extra meetings? Your choice, yeah. let me know. You wanna go back to chaos, I can do that too. And they go, well, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and then, by the way, the other thing is the systems that are rolling out, have business value. You're making money off of it. And they kind of go, wow, this is pretty good stuff.
0: hmm yep. Okay, so after Wyndham, where did you go next?
1: Did one year at Bridge Street. Okay. The person who headed up international
0: mm-hmm.
1: was CEO of Bridge Street and they had trouble figuring out their data. So I said, I'll I'll do a year there. Okay. So I went to Herndon, Virginia, got their data sorted out. Really small team got their uh, data sorted out. But along the way, I said, you know, humor me. What are we paying for apartments? So here's a piece of information over here that will, they tell apartment complexes, just like and hotels do this also, by the way. But apartment complexes will tell some type of service how much they're selling their apartments for just so they can get everyone else's information and they know how to price appropriately. Mm -hmm. I go, well, I want to tap into that. And I want to say, this is what I paid for all my apartments. And I want to know how I benchmark against them. And it's easy to go do and locate and so forth. And then we just rolled out a real simple BI tool. At that time, it was ClickView. It's now Click Technologies, I think. And we just said, hey, here's our apartment, put a pin on it. And then, oh, by the way, conditional code it that if we're below retail, green, if we're within 2% yellow, and if we're over, let's go red. Oh my God, look at all those reds. And we would find out that we're average about 5% over retail. And so renegotiate the contracts and drop right to the bottom line.
0: Wow, okay, so.
1: And it was a couple of IT guys, we had a BI person go do this, and uh, the controller kind of said, can we go do this? We go, yeah, let's try it.
0: So basically like, come in, you do the job, and then you're like, all right, I'm out. On to the next one. I mean, that's like a theme I keep hearing. You come in, you fix the thing, and then you hop to the next. Come in, fix the data set, install a BI tool, and then hop to the next thing.
1: Anyone can run an organization.
0: Yeah, it's hard to... <laughs> you
1: know, and and, and i tell you, half the fun of it is people, people have often go off. and Maybe one other question questions be, what are you most proud of in your career? <laughs> I kind of go, people want to work with me again. Mm-hmm these people still reach out to me because it was hard work but they got something done and that has a lot of value to them and i think one of the best things i am most proud of is i can go in and work with a group and we have it add business value and impact and as you know i do people ask me to do podcasts uh, quite a bit you know it was not one of them it was like a regional podcast and the question was, what were you doing when the pandemic hit? Well, what did you do? And so they asked one guy, he said, well, I was working on my network. Another guy said, I was trying to get my workforce mobile. <laughs> and they go to, they go to Pete and say, Pete, what were you doing? And I go, I was trying to save my damn company. Mm. And they say, well, what do you mean? I said, restaurants were closing. Restaurant brands were going bankrupt. It's the job of IT to help not just look at getting Stephanie a laptop so she can work from home. It's about how do I put systems in to save the company so Stephanie has a job.
0: Why did you pick friendlies? I mean, there's so many restaurants. They picked me. They picked you. I okay. Don't,
1: I don't know why they picked me, too, to be honest with you. But they picked me.
0: I'm sure you have some <laughs> options. You have some choices. I'm sure. Like, why were you any well, interested? To to do that? well,
1: that's a different story. You won't be surprised. <laughs> really? Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We can get into that. But uh, friendly as it was, uh, failed leadership. The guy before me wasn't really cut out for the job. And they kind of saw this old crusty guy that had been around and done some things and listen us him to go do it, right? And So the team did it. So we did a consolidation, brought Johnny Rockets in, but we moved all their technology up to the cloud and shut down an office and so shut down the corporate office. So that was a pretty easy peasy, except the cloud provider was actually pretty terrible. And uh, then we focused on profitability for that. But and then I'll get back to your other point that you're asking about it. So why are you surprised when people don't pick you? Because one is they think you're too big. Two is they'll kind of say, well, you know, we just want someone to run our servers. Their vision of IT in the organization is running servers and laptop and running technology. Their vision on it is not IT needs to improve the business. And so... Great. as uh, We all have good friends and mentors and things like that. I got a great guy, Bill Plamondon. Uh, he was former CEO of Alamo National when I was there. He was a restructuring guy. He did advantage. Just and I will tell you, he is the salt of the earth people guy and really just a great per- people person, but a great business mind also. So here I was at Alamo National, my second job outside of the military. He says, you know why you're at the table? He says, I want you to make money. I go, okay. That's why you as an executive are sitting at the table to help run this company. I got and go, okay, I get it. So, but now you go talk to the average CIO and you say, well, what's your job? I run technology and it's a different horizon. The CEO's horizon of technology is the technology executive is to run technology and not if you're in manufacturing, improve the supply chain, improve profitability. At Friendly's you have no money, but how can you improve the business? Those are the heady challenges that IT leaders need to be focusing on.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you go in and audit a company to figure out where to even start? When you go into like a Friendly's brand, like an older brand, I'm sure things were probably not being run in the best way. I mean, how do you even decide what levers to pull, what to focus on? Like, what does an audit look like of an older company?
1: Yeah. So one thing that I recommend you do, everyone does is don't forget your education. So continue to read. what is your professional development? Because no one's going to give it to you. You know, by the way, if you don't do that, then you're kind of expecting your career is going to take care of your development for you. Yeah, bad juju. No one's going to do that. Right. So read. And I'm always, and you can't, read everything, of course. So, But I subscribe to Harvard Business School. I get their Harvard Business Review and read and you know, pick up the news book and who's the last professor trying to make some money and wrote a book and try to shock it. And then that might be some nuggets of gold. And so you pick those up and that's what I go do to, to educate myself. One book that I use over time is uh, Watkins, First 90 Days. And he says, so what's your job When you go into a new organization, what is your personal goal for you when you go in? And his premise is, and it's actually pretty good, his premise is your whole thing. And when you first get there, you're a deficit. You are a liability against the company because you know nothing and uh, you're not adding value. So your whole job is to add value as quick as you can. And he he talks about doing it. And kind of everyone knows, does this. So I'll go in and I'll interview I interview all my business customers, marketing. How how are we doing? What do you need? This that, and the other. How's IT performing? CEO up and down. I'll even talk to um, admins and things like that because everyone everyone uses technology at this day and age. And then I'll talk to my own team. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What are our challenges? Those type of things. And then from there, I identify quick wins. I identify quick wins. I start building credibility with my team, and I start building credibility with the business. And then from there, that starts giving me a little bit of room to do some strategic initiatives.
0: How much of the quick wins are from you identifying them versus team members who've been there a while bubbling up ideas?
1: You know, you will remember this. Remember the big five consulting days? They go Uh into a university and they hire a a whole bunch of, excuse me, I shouldn't say this, but wet behind the ears, MBAs, and they come out to the place and they're going to put together whatever they're going to go do is, what's the first thing they do? They interview everyone in the company, gathering the information from the company, and then they go synthesize it and say, here's the plan. And then they charge you big bucks for the plan. Mm-hmm. Right? You, the corporate knowledge always, there's always a lot of corporate knowledge of what works, doesn't work, and things like that. It's how do you pull it out to educate yourself in those learnings? And then you'll find, wow, well, you know, we really, you know, I ask IT for something and I never hear a response from them. And you kind of go, well, that ain't good. <laughs> that's it's the IT black hole, we got, we're gonna solve that one. Put it on the list. And so then that leads into ITIL, which leads into Service Desk, which leads into incident management, get the processes in place, and they all start going, ooh, that's kind of interesting. And then, oh, by the way, and then the, our service desk gets a new ticketing system. She puts a client in on everybody, and there's no more IT black hole. And then everyone says it's kind of like it. But you know what happened to IT? They're out of chaos, too, because now they people put in tickets, triage them. They put them in. We do a satisfaction survey afterwards and we find out how well we're doing. Now, this is not rocket science. This is ITIL 101. But a lot of people don't implement it. They just kind of say, we do ITIL, here it is, and go do it and put a ticketing system in. But they don't have the management. They don't have the KPIs. They don't have the oversight. They're not driving it. They're not not doing those type things to uh, improve the organization, to solve the service issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like bringing the IT organization into like, company-wide KPIs is gonna change their mindset a lot and probably get them more excited about their the work they're doing, yeah. where all of a sudden they're impacting the business. Is there anything you have to do behind the scenes with these teams to get that? Well, who's
1: gonna do that though?
0: I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, what, how do you kind of show them what they're about to be impacting?
1: Yeah, look, got a real saying. No one's gonna deliver to us on a silver platter, guys. So let's roll our sleeves up and we're gonna go do it ourselves. I can develop KPIs. I can develop ones that are just for IT, or I can develop one for IT and the business. Oh, by the way, guess who has business intelligence? Guess who has all the data? Guess who has all the, all the tools to go do that? IT. Mm-hmm. So let's go do it.
0: Yeah. So what do you think about the environment we're in today? I mean, looking around, you see all these companies going into Chapter 11. I'm sure you see so many things that could maybe be fixed if you were just to get in there and like work with a IT group and kind of show them the way, what do you think when you're looking around right now, like what things should big companies be thinking about, especially with the landscape and the environment that we're in right now?
1: Uh, there was a guy uh, many years ago, Carr, I think his name was, that wrote Does IT Matter? And it was a pretty controversial book. I think it was a or mid-2005, mid somewhere in that time frame. A pretty controversial book. We had all the IT guys wanted to put a dagger in the, in the guy, and you know, other people were saying whatever. But I would say one thing the pandemic has taught us is that IT really does matter. It used to be I could go into an organization, you know, let's say they were laggards in IT, and I could make two or three strategic purchases and correct the services side, and we could be really competitive again. And I would tell you that there are companies now that have neglected IT over the year. You know, when the pandemic hit, they were really weak. Whereas the ones that had invested in IT were agile and they were able to pick up new revenue streams a lot quicker. And so I think now 15 years later, Carr is irrelevant in his thoughts because IT does matter. And so if you don't have like a digital backbone and I will tell you, you know, you'll pick up on something here and I'll quite be frank and honest, one of the brands that I talk about was a big success. But notice I'm not talking about the other brand. They did not have a digital backbone. They were like getting information by polling and things like that.
0: Johnny Rockets? Is that who we're talking about? I don't even
1: discussed the brand. Oh. Well, I'm wondering.
0: I'm looking at your LinkedIn like, who are we talking about here?
1: They were polling information. They didn't have a network. They weren't uh-huh. pulling any information back. Didn't want to invest in it to go do that. And so then the pandemic hit. You know what they did? They closed. And you could see them... Literally, it was a global brand, and we could see the pandemic travel around the world because the government, the governments and municipalities were closing restaurants. And we'd see, oh, Asia just shut down, or Chile just shut down, or, oh, Chile came back to life. And we could see it all over the place. Whereas the other brand had a digital backbone. Because they had a digital backbone, I could put in some services that affected everybody. And when the pandemic hit, yep, restaurants closed. They had delivery. They went down 65%. They did not close. And they should have, they could have gone bankrupt, actually, and out of business. Yeah, but they didn't close. And I had a great CEO. He was an old school CEO, loved him to death. And he put in a good menu that corrected the customers. And we had the the technology and the delivery services. And then at that time, the whole industry shifted. And they didn't realize it, but they shifted from in-room dining to really an e-commerce company. Because it was about your website now. It was about the third party's websites. It was about placement. It was about SEO. How am I driving all people to do more online ordering for you? It was you a know, pretty interesting time frame. And it was you know, the old school thing. CEO wanted to focus on catering. And I looked at the analytics and catering is not selling. I go, I go to see. hey, George, catering is not selling. He goes, okay. I said, we need to go with dairy. Dairy selling. Okay, good, goes dairy. And then marketing, we need to change. Well, I don't know. Marketing, we need to change. Uh, I don't know. My point of sale person, honestly, odd story, great lady, Lynn Geiger, give her some credits here. She said, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to change it myself over the weekend because she would do it in the point of sale and it would go out to all the delivery services. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm just going to do it over the weekend.
0: What was wrong with the point of sale? What did she want to do?
1: No, it wasn't. Nothing that was wrong with it. But as okay. you do the priority in the delivery services, you can prioritize what you want to highlight first because the CEO was a delivery person and was a catering person and had success in other chains with catering. That's what he wanted. And that's what he had throughout the organization. So marketing and all these people didn't want to change. So I went to him and said, Hey, it's not selling. He goes, okay. I said, I said, we're going to go with dairy because it's selling here are all the metrics. He goes, okay. And so then I worked with the marketing guys, cause they kind of own that piece of it. And they said, no, nah, and not doing it. so. The point of sale lady said, I'm tired of this. And so she went back and she changed all the priorities and all the delivery sites. And Lynn Geiger, a point of sale administrator, did it, implemented it, and a week later had a 10% improvement in revenue. Wow. A sole contributor infected the company by 10%.
0: That's amazing.
1: By using simple principle. And then I got on the marketing guys again. I said, placement. I says, you know, all the delivery services are geolocated, right? I said, okay, real simple. I'm here, and right next to us is a restaurant, but I go look at the app. Don't look at what I have on the backside here. Look at their app, and I'm down five pages. I ain't getting no orders, but we're gonna correct that. Well, you know, they'll give us higher placement if you pay for it. I said, no, 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 no. We're talking about a concept called organic placement here. And they go, ooh, really? So look, that, no images got to get images oh this right up 32 ounce coke well that's terrible how about a 32 ounce cold refreshing coke make it appealing to the consumer they did it they put it all in place guess what happened they're the second placement orders start going sky high
0: just from pictures images and text that's it
1: images and text and realigning what's selling because a lot of it is you know and this is e-commerce 101 make it easy for the customer to find the product If you have it buried deep, it's tough tough them to find the product. But where do you want to put your number one selling item? Top dead center. Let them see it. Mm -hmm.
0: Summertime, put that ice cream up top. (laughs) Get some seasonal things up there.
1: Well, you are right. Our top selling item was a sandwich. But then the next nine were all milkshakes and sundaes and things of that nature. We were a dairy delivery. We were a dessert delivery business. So let's focus on that. Let's sell it. And so, needless to say, that by summertime, we were only down 35%, no dining rooms. And we had no drive through. If you had drive throughs, you were killing it, but we didn't have drive throughs. We were an old, believer brand. Then, limited dining rooms started opening up and 10, 15% capacity, something of that nature. We were only down 10%. December of that year, the private equity group was able to sell the company. So, IT matters. IT can do, do good things. So all of these things that we do on a daily basis, that uh, takes a leader—not just an IT leader of the IT organization, but to work in the organization and say, "We need to go do this."
0: So, what do you want to do next? Where's Pete headed to? How do you turn around? I know. What are you turning around next, or what are you looking at? Whoever needs a turnaround guy. Whoever needs it. Um, <laughs> you don't have any preference. You don't spot any interesting companies. You see them in the news. You're like, hmm, yeah, Target's kind of interesting. Yeah, I see or...
1: them. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. sometimes they already got good leadership, you know, they don't need me. Um, other times, and I picked this up doing bankruptcy, I've done uh, three bankruptcies now in my career, and that, the, that Bill Pumundin, the restructuring guy, one of the things he told me was that people that get ready to go into bankruptcy, they're kind of in denial. And he's absolutely right. In other words, the people that are running the company don't realize how bad it is. And so that's what I've learned. So they kind of and I said this to one group, I was telling and they said, well, what's the biggest impediment to us becoming a great technology organization or using technology to great advantage or something like that? And I said, I'm gonna be honest with you. He said, what's that organization culture? He said, what do you mean? We got good culture, you know, whatever. I said, no, no, see, your expectations of IT is down here. You know, it's a little bit of a problem but no one in this room has ever seen a well-run IT organization. You don't know what it takes to have a well-run IT organization. You don't know what the value, you know, you know there's value, in it because you kind of say that, but you don't know what the real value is, because you've never experienced it, you don't know that. So when it comes time to things like resourcing, i.e., budget next year to get the Team in the organization, they're kind of happy with the way it is. They may give you a little bit more, but it's really not this strategic imperative to go do it. And I'll tell you a funny story. I interviewed one company. This was a long time ago. And I interviewed the CEO, and you're kind of like this. He's a former army, army guy.
0: Okay. Special
1: forces, by the way. All right. And he says, "I want a world-class IT organization." And I go, "Okay, I can go do that. I mean, I've done that in the past. I can go do that." And he said, you know, it's really important to us, gotta have a world-class IT organization. And then I said, well, how much money do you have for this? Because it's gonna cost you money. He goes, well, I'm, I'm hoping you would let me know. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna put together the plan, the budget, it can take a little bit, we're gonna go do that for you. But you know something? He goes, what? It's still gonna cost you a little bit of money. I can do this budget constrained if you wanted to, how much you can give me? How much do you think it's gonna be? Now, these are kind of like the front conversations that, recruiters tell you you should have, but be honest with you, you should never have. And he kind of goes, well, okay, well, we can work on it. And I kind of, and I back off the subject. And so then they put me down in the panel interview of the CIO's peers. And I said, hey, I just got done with the CEO. And at this point I was kind of like checking out the organization, I'm not, I'm not gonna be here. And, I, and I, so I go, CEO says he wants a world-class IT organization. And he said, yeah. And they all said, oh yeah, we need that. And I said, okay. Yeah, I can. I go do that, I understand that. I think we're gonna do this, this. Okay, well, that's, that's good, that's good. And then I said, but you know, it's gonna cost money. I said, you know, where's the money gonna come from to go do all this stuff? And they kind of they go, well, uh, uh, uh. I said, so what, you know, either two ways, guys, there's gotta either be new revenue coming in, or someone's gonna have to give up money in their budget. We got any big plans for new revenue? Well, we might open up one location, two locations next year. Well, I said, that's probably 2%, 3%, 5%. Okay, and that helps. And I said, but which one of you guys are gonna give up budget? And they look at me. I mean, I just shot their dog. And then one of them comes back to me and says, you know, when IT is operating well, we don't hear about it. And I kind of go, oh, I get it. Troubled IT organization, and you just want the problems to go away. Well, that's a different thing. You should have said that up front, not this world-class IT organization type stuff. So the horizon of a lot of the companies as to what a good IT organization can go do for them is beyond their capability. So let me... If I was to go to Stephanie and go, you know, Stephanie, I think I got an idea that can really propel this organization. I could change the way that we do things and really revolutionize it. I think I can get a telephone pole to fly 1600 miles and fly through a 10 foot by 10 foot window. What do you think?
0: Okay, show me.
1: (laughs) And they did. I mean, it was before me, but that was the time of Hawk Cruise Missile. So what was the technology? And the technology isn't as sophisticated as people believe. What, you know, What was the technology? What, tight engineering standards, how did they go do that? And everyone kind of thinks like, well, strategically it was great. Okay, yeah, so what was so great about it? It says, it took the human out of an engagement to a high-risk target. And they go, yes, it did. That was revolutionary that way. Strategically though, we put a nuclear capable missile that could fly to downtown Moscow, not on the aircraft carriers, not on 12 or 14 aircraft carriers, but on every destroyer in the Navy. And that made the Soviet Union have to have resources to find every U.S. Navy ship. And it strategically changed the Cold War. And so, and, and so, you know, and I throw that out there and that's the that is the story of the cruise missile. But I throw that out there, go talk to your CEO and say, if you could have anything in the world, technology, to do it, what would it be? And they'd probably tell you, I just want the servers to operate. <laughs> so the other side of it is what's new in accounting that's revolutionizing businesses? Mm-hmm. What's new in, I don't know, operations? There are some new things in operations. What's new in HR that's really revolutionizing businesses? Probably the area that's really impacting businesses right now is technology. You know, relegate it to a director level position. Don't have the horizons. Don't look at the educations, what's happening on around them and coming up with some great ideas to really improve their business.
0: Yeah. Well, to me, this interview was very inspiring, thinking about how to bring these teams together. Pete, thank you for hopping on the show today. For anyone who is looking to change their org and transform it and turn it around, where can they find you for help?
1: I'm um, on LinkedIn. The best way I might, I'll spend about an hour a day on LinkedIn answering messages and and things of that nature. And it's not, and don't be afraid to reach out to me. It's not all about the next position. I get asked a lot of times, what do you think about this? And I'll hop on a quick conference with you real quick and and just talk about this, that, and the other and help you out. That's great. Thank you, Pete. Thanks, Tiffany, have a good day.
0: Listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast.